Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So we're back for episode 10. Don't call it a hiatus. It's actually only a, really a week off because uh, if you sign up to the Patreon over at www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles, you'd have got a particularly nice bonus episode the other week. So this episode is going to be mainly kickboxing uh, as I talk about 1X from last weekend. I'm not going to go over every single fight or anything. I'll give you a recommended uh, list of fights to watch and then talk about a couple a bit more in depth. But, you know, this is not one of those podcasts where, you know, I break down every single fight. It's not a play by play. You can get that other places. I can talk about things that I find particularly interesting and things that I think you guys need to keep up to date with. And obviously, keeping up to date, it's a bit difficult because the card was last weekend. So, I'm going to cap it off with a little look at the tension fight uh, from at time of recording yesterday. So, the fights that I think now are worth talking about uh, from 1X. Um, let's quickly run through the card and let's talk about what fights I think you need to watch. So, you can, I wouldn't watch John Wayne Parr's retirement fight. I use retirement in quote marks because you know he might come back, but wasn't uh, somewhat depressing. Um, there's plenty of other great John Wayne Parr fights you can watch. We're going to talk about a couple of these fights in a minute anyway. So um, if I skip over one and you think, hold on a minute, you didn't mention that as one to watch. Well, we might be talking about it in a minute. Angelie versus Stamp Fairtex for the one women's at weight championship. Um, never been big on Stamp, and the Lee siblings are somewhat annoying, so I would skip it. Um, yeah, even though tiny women fighters are where it's at for MMA, uh, I've never really been big on Samp. I'm not a fan. I'm showing heart on this, but yeah. One to skip, in my opinion, unless you are a completist, unless you really want to keep abreast of the tiny weight uh, uh, title fights. Um, there's a more important one coming up soon in Rising, which we'll talk about soon in a future episode. Uh Adriana Moraes, who beat uh, Demetrius Johnson, beat Yuya Wakamatsu, who previously lost to Demetrius Johnson. I thought I'm not particularly high on. He showed some improvement in this. Moraes um, sort of bided his time, uh, land some nice knees and whatnot, and some sharp shots. Got a warning. One thing I want to say this one card, the yellow card system, seems like a blatant way of uh, Chatry skimming money off the top. Really don't like it. Um, Marais eventually locked up Guillotine. Yeah, you can watch it. I think Marais is pretty clearly one of the best. Uh, it's, it's flyweight, but yes, to be honest, you know, the weigh-in rules are bullshit. In one, he's he's a he's a hundred and thirty-five pounder. He fucking looks like one. 
Thing mate, one twenty-five. I'd be really high on him as a, you know, one of the best fighters outside of UFC. As it stands, he's still one of the best bantamweights outside the UFC. But there are shed loads of really good bantamweights outside the UFC. So check it out definitely, and let's hope at some point he can make his way over to Bellator the UFC. He took fucking ages to get a fight after this DJ fight, and he's clearly uh, a shit hot champion. Hopefully we'll see a rematch. That might be one worth seeing. Um, talk about that. Uh, that, that little Mighty Mouse fella in a minute. Uh, Akiyama versus Aoki was hilarious. Um, Akiyama is, what, 47 or something? Looks about 35. And Aoki is, I think, 38. And sounds about 138. Uh, first round, Aoki just backpacked him for the whole fight, um, for the whole round. Landed some um, sort of strikes here and there, but mainly threatened with... Uh, neck cranks and 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 rear naked chokes and <laughs> Akiyama's strong as fuck and uh, obviously an esteemed judo player managed to fight Oki off. They just sort of barreled into him in the second round and Oki, as he does, is abysmal on the feet. I remember there was a time actually where sort of just before he fought Eddie in the rematch in Bellator that Eddie Alvarez that is for the younger people around here that don't know one of the greatest fighters of all time. Um, you know, that Aoki's oh, getting a bit more comfortable on the feet. He's always been abysmal on the feet. He has no feel for it whatsoever and capitulates awfully whenever someone punches him in the face. And this one, he just sort of fouled to pieces as soon as Akiyama showed some resistance and uh, took quite a fucking beating. Uh, well worth watching. I mean, Akiyama, former um, 185-pounder, he did obviously fight a welterweight as well. Oki, really a career, 155-pounder. Just a bizarre fight between uh, Japanese veterans. Uh, kind of shit that, you know, if you're a fan of Dream, uh, you'd just love to see this fight. Somewhat of a weird super fight. And super fight. You know what I mean. Um, it's one of those sort of veterans fights. And it's well worth watching. Oki does his thing in the first round. And Akiyama sort of beats him up in the second round. So in a weird way, Oki does it does his thing in both rounds. So um, yeah, it's what just under seven minutes in total. Well worth a watch. Uh, Nongo beat uh, Felipe Lobo in part two. This was uh, the fight I spoke about a minute ago from the grand finale. Um, from part two, there's there's two fights that I think are really worth watching. Haven't seen the Hamdale Silva fight yet. Um, didn't watch it on the day. I was busy having a life. It was on like a Saturday afternoon. Um, but Nongo beat Felipe Lobo. A lot of people say, oh, look, Nongo, he's he's beating a good fighter there and blah, blah, blah. Look, Lobo's all right. But, you know, veteran ties, styling on foreigners. Tale as old as time. But watch it, certainly for the uh, picture-perfect uppercut that ended the fight because uh, it was a thing of beauty. Nice to see Nongo styling on people. Um, and it was a somewhat fun fight, so yeah, definitely don't skip that one. Give it a try. Um, next one I want to talk about is an absolute banger. Hiroki Yakamoto versus Capitan. Uh, Diesel Leck for the old school amongst us. A, 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 a fight which is somewhat marred by terrible, terrible uh, refereeing. Um, happy to say that didn't happen in one of the other kickboxing fights we're going to talk about. Um, but every time Capitan seemed to try and even frame off, he was penalised for clinching. It was obviously kickboxing rules, even though he's a Muay Thai fighter. He's had a lot of success. 
uh, in kickboxing rules. Um, Akamoto was amazing. Um, staying on top of Capitan and firing off combos. Um, yes, I could go into this in a, in a great uh, sort of great deal of detail. As, as I said at the start of the show, I'm not going to do that very far on this, but have all the fights I've spoken about, that's probably the one you really, really want to check out right away. It was a banger. Uh, and Chinkis Alazov, uh, who's a quality fighter and has been for ages, all the way back to the K1 days, beat Sitichai, who, despite being competitive in a lot of his recent fights, is clearly somewhat on the slide, or maybe he's been figured out, not really sure. Um, we're about to talk about two of his, uh, uh, two of mutual opponents of his, which is one of the big fights I'm going to go into. Um, but yeah, Alazov uh, books himself a title fight against Segway Man. Superbomb Banchamek, who put on absolute masterclass against Marek Gregorian. Now, we're just over four years removed from Superbomb and Marek's first fight. And what's interesting about that fight, watching it back, and it's worth talking about in this because the performance was so spectacular in this one from the tie, is that actually there's only a few tweak, tweaks to his approach. Um... I think the cage might have helped. Uh, the first fight was in a ring, Kunlun fight. Uh, I think the cage uh, made it harder for Marat to cut the ring off. Um, the Superbond also refined his approach. If you watch their first fight, he does fire off the teeps early, as he does in this upcoming uh, fight, which we're about to talk about. Languishes on the ropes, throwing in-step knees, which allows Marat to, to close distance, and then basically bulldoze him with a combination of punches, catches him within a flurry. Spark Superbon out within 30 seconds. Now, not really indicative of Superbon as a fighter, very indicative of Marat as a fighter. He's a complete bulldozer. Um, before talk about the fight, let me just take a little look at the run Superbon is on. Because it's unbelievable. It's one of the most incredible one runs in combat sports right now. And uh, probably puts him... Well, probably puts him up there as one of the pound-for-pound pound best fighters in the world, or well, certainly the best pound-for-pound pound kickboxer in the world. Um, that title may change hands in a couple of months once we get to the tension Takeri fight, which we're going to talk about after the break. But before we get to the break, let's look at the recent, just the recent fights. He's just beat Marek Gregorian, the fight we're about to talk about. Top five, top ten pound-for-pound. Pound. He just sparked out Giorgio Petrosian, one of the best knockouts of last year. He was top five, top ten, pound for pound. And then he decisioned Sitichai, um, which was Superbond's first fight for one. Um, bit of a tepid fight. Um, it could have gone either way. Some people say, I think Superbond clearly won it for me with the better strikes. But that was a guy who was top five, pound for pound at the time. Or top ten, pound for pound. I think by Beyond Kickboxing's pound for pound rankings... Uh, which, along with uh, Combat Press, really the only sort of kickboxing rankings you need to listen to. Pretty sure, at the time, Superbomb beat all three of those fighters. All three were ranked in the top top five pound for pound. Now, that don't happen in combat sports. That's insane. Absolutely insane. Um, and Superbomb, for me, was one of the... You know, I'm a fan of his. Um, he hasn't lost since the Marat fight, which was... As I say, four years ago. And I remember him being a, a a ranked stadium fighter back in the day when I was really into stadium Muay Thai. 
sort of 2009 to 2013, I guess, 2014. Um, never really got the chance to see his fight with Senchai, which wasn't in one of the big stadiums, but I remember him fighting Singdam, who's one of my all-time favourite fighters, regardless of sport. So he's been around for a while. Um, another tale old as time. Uh, Bangkok lightweights filling out and becoming uh, light middleweights or, you know, featherweights as they call them, 154 pounders, K1 max weight essentially, really, really makes a mockery of one's um, weigh-in rules, I think they're for all weight classes, might just be for MMA, um, but really makes a mockery when um, fighters that have been fighting at 154 for years are also fighting at 154 and 1 regardless of their uh, rehydration rules, but again, that might just be for MMA, who gives a fuck, I ain't going to keep up with, the, with their rules, they can't even tell what um, is going on with their scoring, um, they put on good fights, that's about it, we'll talk more about the atmosphere in a second actually, about this card, so we'll talk about the fights on it first, but what was evident straight away was Superman's ability to dictate range and pace, the Teeps were an amazing weapon for him, Constantly causing Marat to reset, constantly stopping Marat from closing the distance, constantly stopping Marat from getting anywhere near close, as he did in the opening seconds of their first fight. Well, Superbon clearly had was a process. Teep at distance, jab with Marat. If Marat got inside the jab, he'd either frame off, pushing back with his own lead hand, like a like a push jab. And if he got past that, then Superbon would clinch knee and use that. To push off or, or, or frame off and uh, stop Marat's advances. But it's the Teep that was the main weapon for him. And he carried this on for much of the fight. Marat got a bit closer later on, but generally it was a masterclass. And that process remained strong throughout. Teep, if he gets too close, jab. There was times when they were exchanging jabs. Marat got a little bit too close and try and push off with that sort of strong arm jab, that sort of stiff arm jab. Uh, and if he got inside that, clinch, knee, release. What I like about this fight, totally the opposite to the Capitan fight, which we spoke about earlier, was that the clinch work was actually allowed. It's almost like the old K1 five-second rule, which I like. I think that should be allowed in kickboxing, a modicum of clinch work. You know, so like boxing, if you're working in the clinch, it's fine. Unless you get a shit ref. If you're not working, you break them up. Obviously... The clinch rule, I imagine, was brought in the K1 to stop ties just dominating by grabbing older people for three minutes and beating the shit out of them, so you get five-second rules. Fine. In this, Superbomb was pretty quick to get out. Uh, Marat, again, was struggling to close distance uh, until a bit later on in the fight. What Superbomb did smartly as the fight went on and Marat was getting a little bit closer was use double collar tie to basically limit Marat's opportunities to strike him. So Gregorian could only really fire off to his body. A tie when it comes to body conditioning, he's no concern about that sort of stuff. And what Superbond did was he limited Gregorian's chances of catching him in that sort of flurry or catching him with the big headshots, which he's known for. And then was able to then, as I say, either frame off, pivot out, or if the clinch went on for too long, the referee would break him up. And it worked fine. Obviously, Superbond's able to get his knees off there as well, um, just as a deterrent, but generally limiting Gregorian's chances, A, to close the distance on him at that range and if he did get too close he had a number of different uh, defensive manoeuvres that he could use in order to stop Gregorian doing anything else so basically Supon had a great game plan and he's shown it now in two, in two fights in a row so City try fight my memories of it are a little bit foggy it was a kind of tepid fight really um, both guys sort of cancel each out 
cancel each other out at times, but Superbond did better work. But we've seen now in two fights in a row, Superbond's come with a perfect game plan. In the Petrosian fight, it was a high kick, which we could see him working in. Didn't come out of nowhere. He was clearly working in from the first round. And how to take Petrosian's eyes off that kick with shots to set it up, which is great because what you're doing there is you're figuring out ways to unravel the defence of one of the greatest defensive fighters of all time. So, uh, impeccable, essentially. And in this one, we've shown him with a number of different uh, techniques in order to deal with Marek Gregorian at every single range. That's a masterclass. That is the sign of one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. And uh, Superbond's connection with his trainer guy is clearly... um, about as good as uh, Canelo and Eddie Reynoso. So, yeah, um, just an impeccable fighter. If I had to do this sort of, uh, as it's a combined uh, combat sports uh, podcast, if I had to do a sort of combined podcast, uh, combined rankings for the podcast across all combat sports, I think uh, based on these three fights alone, uh, although obviously he had some other good wins in, in that run, um, decent wins, but it, based on these three fights alone, and given how highly ranked they were in kickboxing, be hard not to have Superbon in the top five pound for pound across all combat sports. That's how brilliant he is at the moment. And in terms of uh, look, he's got the best fucking shorts in combat sports. That was a really natty look, very short shorts, 80s boxing style look. And um, yeah, uh, really nice fucking shorts. Even as Muay Thai shorts go, which we have some absolute bangers out there. Uh, with the Yokao, like, multicoloured ones, the ice cream ones and all that stuff, because some really banger shorts out there. This red and white look was chef's kiss. Absolutely loved it. One thing that isn't going to get a chef's kiss reaction from me was the build-up and the fallout from the last fight we're going to talk about on this card, which was uh, Rod Tang versus Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. And in the build-up, the reason I wasn't very excited was I just thought it was a bit of a fucking joke. Um, it was clear to me how it was going to go. It was going to be a competitive first round. DJ doing just enough to survive. More on that in a moment. And then in the second round, it'd be over as soon as DJ got his hands on Rod Tang. Um, but mainly what was annoying me was how everyone was so fucking excited for it. And I know I'm seen as a bit of a curmudgeon and, and you know, a bit of a stick in the mud. And I'm not one to say, please don't have fun. But I just wonder why people's standards were so fucking low. It wasn't that exciting to me. You've got DJ coming off, getting his fucking head taken off. And Rod Tang, who's got no fucking clue how to grapple, as much as he's threatened to move over to MMA for the past year or so, um, he has no fucking clue against one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Um, so, yeah, wasn't really that excited for it. People seemed really excited for it, which, again, it's fine to be excited for stuff, but me personally, I was just like, come on, guys, what the fuck are you going on about? Um, the commentary somewhat annoyed me in the fight. Little excerpt from that DJ coming right up. You can see DJ's having a little bit of difficulty with the Muay Thai rule set. He keeps clinching and trying to look for a tie up, but Rotang is doing a great job of pressuring him into that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure uh, Demetrius Johnson, renowned as one of the greatest clinch fighters in the history of mixed martial arts and a pretty cerebral, smart fella, has got no fucking clue what he's doing in a Muay Thai round using the clinch. By the way, as that commentary was going on, he was firing off a knee in the clinch, which obviously he was using to break the clinch and then spin out and reset. Now, the reason there's not too much to talk about in this fight, and it's more of a narrative thing than a Styles thing, although it was something quite nice in the second round, was that Rod Tang basically did Rod Tang in the first round. DJ um, 
nicely fired back and did things to stay in it. Um, I saw a couple of things online. People saying, wow, it's not that impressive because it's actually a bit of a 50-50 thing. Neither one I'm particularly happy with. Um, this podcast is me being annoyed. I'm, I'm sorry about that, but there are positives, I can assure you. Um, I really don't want to come across as a stupid old bastard. Um, you've got 50% of people sort of saying, oh, well, Rod Tang's not that big a puncher, so it's not that impressive that DJ survived the first round with him. Disagree with that. Um, because, you know, his striking acumen is to the level that, you know, you would expect a, a less um, natural striker. And I think DJ's an excellent striker, but he's not a full-time, you know, top 20 pound-for-pound pound sort of striker, which Rod Tang is in kickboxing slash Muay Thai, I would say. He's a bulldozer and he's really fucking good. Um, we've also seen Rod Tang look um, less stellar against the top, top um, sort of... Uh, FEMU fighters, um, sort of technical Muay Thai fighters, so, you know, out fighters, counter fighters, that sort of thing. Let's not act like he's completely infallible, but in terms of his offensive game, we saw what he did against Tenshin. Um, we've seen what he done against loads of fighters, basically, uh, especially how easily dismantles foreigners, that even a top-notch MMA fighter, I'm surprised that DJ sort of did as well as he did. Um, I don't think it should be easily discounted that DJ didn't get his fucking head taken off when he's coming off a fight where he got his fucking head taken off. So yeah, I think people are too easy to dismiss. Yes, fifty percent of people sort of from you know, basically just what I saw online, just just my opinion, just what I've seen, saying, "Oh wow, of course DJ survived." Rod Tang's not a knockout puncher. Yeah, but it's not like he doesn't fucking hit hard. He clearly fucking hits hard. He gets the respect of basically everyone he faces. I think it's almost pretty clear that if this was a three-round Muay Thai fight, or just kickboxing or whatever, no Muay Thai because Rod Tang lands some nice elbows in the first round too, I think Rod Tang would have stopped DJ. I don't think there's much doubt with that. Um, even though DJ did well, and I say fair fucks to him. It's a really nice uh, free two at one point he landed as well towards the end of the round. He was feeling it. He was getting into it. Um, yeah, really, really nice work. Um is Rod Tang top twenty pound for pound? I've literally all the time I've been talking, I've been racking my brains, going, I don't think he is actually. I've just run through sort of who I've got in the sort of. He's definitely not top ten. And I'm running through the top twenty, and I'm going, no, 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 he's not really. But he's really fucking good all the same. Uh, and it, and he went tit for tat with a guy who's in my top three pound for pound. So let's you know, let's not dismiss him. Let's maybe dismiss my opinion, but let's not dismiss him as a quality fighter. Um, I think there is a sort of where he's sort of one of the only say crossover popular ties right now and I say crossover in terms of people on Twitter seem to know who he is um, I think that's an easy way to dismiss him and say oh, he's just popular because he's he's exciting on cards of people actually watch it he's a good fucking fighter but he's not so good that the other 50% and this is what I'm about to get at I saw that MMA History Today Twitter said something like no other fighter would be able to do this this is legacy defining for Demetrius Johnson or whatever the fuck it was so I've seen other people saying a similar thing like this just proves how great DJ was. If he was back in the UFC, he'd probably beat, he'd probably win the 125 pound title back. Guys, we're going to get to the second round in a minute. He just beat a guy who doesn't know how to do MMA and he just about survived with a guy who's really good at Muay Thai. So what? It's good. It's not great. DJ did about as well as I expected him to. I expected him to survive the first round. Didn't expect him to do quite as well. Um, I didn't expect him to get bulldozed. He's smart, sharp, Good defence, 
always had excellent reflexes. Even in his last fight, he looked really fast um, against Morais. Um, I actually, I actually said before. I think I'm on on record on online saying basically post Cejudo two, which I'm also on record saying I feel thought he easily won. Um, he just didn't appear to be very good to me at one. Uh, he seemed to be going through the motions, somewhat lethargic, and sort of having relatively competitive fights with fighters who, in his title run, wouldn't have even fucking got a shot against him. Um, I love when people say, that's because you don't follow one. If people follow one, everyone, no, 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 his fighters ain't that good that he was fighting. I mean, I was surprised Moraes beat him. I've seen more of his fights than just that one. He's good. I've, I've come round to him, definitely. But um, at the time, I was surprised. Um, but yeah, what DJ did with the first round was impressive, certainly. But the other 50% of people saying, like, this just proves that he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. This fight does nothing for Demetrius Johnson's legacy. This was a, essentially a, a, a full-contact exhibition. It was a fucking mess around. And as Jack Slack correctly pointed out, Kyoji Horiguchi went the distance with uh, Tension uh, Nascawa. And... Okay, he might need to do a few desperation takedowns towards the end. Um, but, you know, that's way more impressive to me because there was no modified rule set, essentially. And, uh, yeah, that was just way more impressive. So, it's not like no one could do that. Wow, no one could do what DJ's doing. He went three minutes with a Muay Thai fighter. So fucking what? So fucking what? Is Franz Bofa greater than Lennox Lewis because... He fought in K1 and actually, you know, went the distance with Remy Bonyaski. Come on now. That's just not how it works. This whole, if he come back to UFC, he'd win the flyweight title. I mean, are we now saying that Moraes is deadlier than Davison Figueiredo? Are we now saying that Figueiredo wouldn't have fucking caught him with big uppercuts and and, and dropped him and, and did some serious damage? Are we saying that DJ only lost because you're allowed to get kicked in the head at one? No, we're not. Come on now. Uh, but in the second round, uh, Rod Tang switched to southpaw, started running round, uh, clearly was trying to survive. Um, and I like what DJ did. He opened him up a body body kick, closed the distance, drew the lead, slipped under, got the back, got the takedown, choked him out. Um, and it was all relatively elementary after that. But um, it was fun. It was more fun. And this is what I'm saying. I don't want to be all negative. It was actually more fun than I thought it was going to be. And as we were ramping up to that fight, I actually started getting quite excited for it. Two fighters that I really like. Two fighters I've liked for a while. DJ I've liked for longer. Really big fan of Demetrius Johnson. One of my favourite fighters of all time. And I was really, really sort of buzzing by the time the fight came along. So, yeah, um, you could be as cynical as you want in lead up to a fight. But when they start walking down, you really haven't got a fucking clue what's going to happen. I started getting excited. And I enjoyed it. It was good. It was fun. I really liked the fight. So, yes... Okay, I was curmudgeonly in the lead up to the fight. Yes, I had some strong opinions about other people's opinions about the fight. Yes, I hold, still hold those opinions. I think people are getting either, I think people are getting too excited either way. Um, but it was fun, and in the long run, neither of them are hurt by it. DJ didn't take any serious damage in the first round. Rod Tang had a nice nap, and I'm sure he's, um, I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, by now, and yeah, it's been a week after. He had a nice little nap. Didn't take much damage. It's you know it doesn't ruin either either of their reputations because DJ looked competent in the striking, and Rod Tang went out with a shield um, and got tapped out by one of the greatest submission artists probably in in the history of mixed martial arts. So 
yeah, all in all, you know, I was kind of like, this isn't going to do anything. This is a waste of time. This is a fucking terrible waste of time. At the end of the, end of the day, it wasn't as big a waste of time as I thought it was going to be. So after the break, we're going to talk about uh, Tension's fight from yesterday and just sort of what the fuck is going on with him. I realise there's a lot of swearing in this episode. Apologies if you've got kids in the car. Don't definitely never listen. Actually, I don't apologise if there's kids in the car. You shouldn't be listening to this around anyone. This is a headphones-only podcast, or if you are a sad case that lives on their own. Don't ever play this on other people around. They'll think you're mental. Um, is tension mental? More on this after the break. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews, and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five-star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. So, we're nearly at the end of an era. We're certainly at the end of an era in terms of Tension Nascauer's career with Rise. We've already had his farewell from Rising. Now we've had his farewell from Rise. And we're about to apparently have his farewell from kickboxing as a whole in June when he fights Takeru, who's K1's golden boy. Bit of a lowdown uh, on tension before we get to the lowdown on, on his on his last fight for Rise, which is a banger. Um, as an amateur, 99 wins, 5 losses and 3 draws. And he fought a who's who of fighters, essentially, who are now... Absolute class in kickboxing, or have recently left kickboxing in uh, Yoshiki Takai's uh, case. Uh, but he's fought, you know, guys that have gone on to be champions, and he's just fought a who's who, really. Um, so, yeah, an excellent amateur career. But let's look at his professional career. In MMA, he's 4 0. In kickboxing, uh, and MMA, by the way, is something that tension apparently never really liked doing, but in uh, kickboxing, he's uh, 43 0. So as a professional, essentially, he's 48, you know. Um, 30 knockouts in, in kickboxing, by the way. Um, and and as for a stellar bunch of opponents, probably in when, let's have a look, when was I last out on him? Because I was at one point. Probably 2016, when everyone was freaking about about him being one chillong. He was really like a super flyweight. And I'm that, who hadn't fought in Muay Thai for years and was shot in boxing by that point, let alone uh, in uh, kickboxing. I was annoyed, really, because people were really, really big in tension up. And rightly so, he was really young at the time. He was like a teenager, smashing men and in impressive fashion, highlight reel fashion. But really, it's since then, when he's really, in my opinion, stepped up against quality, quality fighters. He'd fought quality prospects before and some really good fighters. Don't get me wrong, but people were making out that he was like, you know, gonna, he was going to beat Senchai if he if he fought him, and I never really agreed with that. Um, it's just a bit too small and you know, a bit too inexperienced at that point. But he's gone on to beat some quality, quality, quality fighters, um, and essentially he's one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. Again, regardless of combat sports, in my opinion. And the fight with Takeru, which we're going to have a special podcast for when we get closer to that fight, with contributions from some guys who I really respect uh, in terms of kickboxing punditry. Um, that's that's the plan. It has been since I started this podcast. We're looking forward to that one. Um, 
it's a real shame we're going to lose tension um, to boxing by the looks of it. And I think that might uh, inform how we look at his last couple of fights. Um, but let's not, you know, let's not beat around the bush here. He's still fighting quality opposition, even when he's so-called... Well, I sort of alluded to the fact, has he gone mental? Let's just sort of have a look at what I'm talking about here. He doesn't quite appear to be himself, in my opinion. He's getting involved more in prolonged boxing exchanges. Uh, he doesn't look quite as sharp as he was before. Um, not quite as dynamic. Um, his spinning attacks, um, which defined the earlier part of his career, um, appear to be more predictable now. Um, way off, in my opinion. And I'm not really just talking about do I think Tension's past his best or something stupid like that. He's, he's still a young guy. I'm talking about a, as he got his eye on boxing, which we know he plans to go into, professional Western-style glove boxing. But also, how does this inform how a fight with Takeru is going to go? Because if he's getting involved in prolonged boxing exchanges, I think he's going to get his head taken off. And I think that's a concern. I think, you know, maybe he's just been... There's a, there's a real chance that maybe he's just trying to get rid of these last couple of fights and he'll be said screwed on for Takeru and he's going to ride off into the sunset. Um, that might be an op- that definitely might be... A reason for that, um, but his last couple of fights, um, Shiro, whose quality that 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 fight was not great. Um, it was tepid, and Shiro didn't really want to take any chances because he'd fought him before and he knows what happens. Um, Masahiko Suzuki, who tension had fought previously, and is now far uh, far better in my opinion, and um, came a lot better prepared, and. Yeah, I think you know it's just a really fucking good fighter there, and personally, I don't see any real major issues with uh, Tension's performance in that one. It was a competitive fight against a quality fighter, and this new one against Kazane, who's a good young fighter, coming off a win over Shiro himself, and is trained by Tension's dad, so he's well prepared. These guys are former sparring partners and know each other well, and I think the backlash about this one really is that you know. Detention deserved to lose this fight. I don't think he deserved to lose a fight. It was a competitive fight. And if I was recommending fights like I did with the one uh, card earlier, Rise Aldorado, which is what this card was on, Rise being the promotion for the uninitiated, Aldorado is the name of the card, uh, Aldorado 2022, because I have them, I think, every year. Um, watch as much of this card as you can because there was just, you know, savage KOs throughout. The aforementioned Shiro, um, absolutely banged out Ibata with a brutal head kick. Um, there was a couple of um, sort of upsets on the card, some really nice KOs, some really nice fights. Well worth a watch. Um, they tend to upload the fights maybe a little while after they happen, but you know if you start Googling, you, you'll find someone that's uploaded them. Um, if you go to Beyond Kick, Beyond underscore Kick, which is the Beyond Kickboxing Twitter account, um, you'll see highlights from the card. And I, I recommend checking them out straight away. But definitely try and seek out the whole fight between Kazane, who's a really good young fighter, um, against Tension. Because there were some really nice exchanges. Tension got, at one point, Kazane sort of timed him, bang, dropped a right straight right on his chin, shook him up a bit. Um, Tension definitely shook up Kazane in the first and third round. Um, did finally pull off his like patented uh, rolling thunder in the third round and... This is really nice work at framing off and firing off knees. Could it be that we're just holding tension to too high standards, his own standards, and that 
people just got more acquainted with his attacks. People know how to deal with him better. They know if you can pressure him consistently and not give him range, then he can't fire off as many kicks. Or is it attention tension isn't kicking as much anymore? You're one of the most dynamic kickers I've ever seen. And just seems more content to, to box nowadays. By the way, I didn't mention the fact that, you know, yeah, okay, he had some excellent kickboxing bouts that have been competitive. Or in the, the case of the Shiro rematch, it was tepid because Shiro didn't want to take any chances. Really good fucking professional as well, Shiro. In both kickboxing and Muay Thai. Good guy, good professional, really good fighter, but... You know, that fight was, was not that great to watch and it's sort of almost tension losing his touch. No, that's just one of them fights where it was hard to look good. And against Suzuki and against Kazane now, we come against well-prepared young fighters on good streaks. They're competitive. They're his contemporaries. He's not an old guy himself. You know, these are his, you know, these are his peers. Good contenders. Um, I think maybe the criticism is somewhat unfair, but also it's not criticism to try and analyse what he's doing with his style and how he's changed and how he's sort of changing his own approach people are sort of catering their approach to him sure but he's not able to do the things that made him so great as consistently as he was before and you know everything is viewed through the lens of the upcoming super fight which is for combat sports fans certainly kickboxing fans probably the most highly anticipated bout in the history of the sport and I'm someone who's been watching kickboxing since the early 2000s. Um, yes, the events were bigger back then, 100%, much bigger. Um, they were huge events in Japan. Certainly in terms of Japan, I'm sure there were fights that were as big or as anticipated because there's just a lot more eyes on the sport back then. But now internationally with Twitter and social media, people are aware of these fighters. And I think um, it's definitely got a claim to be one of the most anticipated fights. The... Probably the two greatest um, kickboxers in the history of Japan going against each other, still somewhat within their primes. I think there's some. Um, I don't think there's really any argument against that, even though the sort of the analysis I've tried to sort of offer towards Tension's recent fights and the fact that Kerry's going to be draining himself a little bit to make the weight, and the fact he's been in a lot of tough fights and a lot of shootouts. Um, he hasn't been fighting much recently. You know, is he going to be at all rusty? He's had nose of injuries. Um, yeah, come on, these guys are still bang on their primes. Let's let's see this fight. It's a banger. Um, but it's hard not to view the tensions recent fights through the lens of that fight because everything's leading to that fight. Everything. We're there now. It's happening in June. They got no no more obstacles in the way. Unfortunately, I wonder whether Tension might be so focused on boxing as of late that he's just not sharpening those tools that he's going to need to keep himself away from Takeru's left hook. Fascinating. Fascinating narrative going into it. Fascinating fighters. Tension, fascinating career. There's one more to go. But make sure you watch this fight with Kazane. Um, Really, really good fight, um, regardless of whether you think, whether you're at all annoyed with what Tension did or not. I'm not. I loved it. Um... I just think, as I said, I'm viewing it through the lens of the Takeru fight. That's all. Um, tension's still bad in 99%. 99.9% of kickboxers on the planet, essentially. Um, I just like to see him kick a bit more, just like he used to. Um, but, yeah, maybe I'm being unfair. I'm not sure. But, Rise Al Dorado, check out as much of it as you can. 1X, check out uh, what I said. Also, really nice to see, one quickly... Uh, 
a sighting of Ernesto Hoost, Mr. Perfect himself, handing out bouquets at the beginning of the Tension Kazane fight. Um, good to see that um, the kickboxing K1 legends are getting being able to get back over to Japan now. Um, been a nightmare with rules, uh, COVID rules and regulations over in Japan, and rightly so. They've kept their country as safe as they can. You know, we get like 100,000 a day or whatever in the UK, and it's like, fuck, but I'm still going to go to work. In Japan, they're like, we've got 200 cases in Tokyo. This is a nightmare. And they, you know, they close, they close all the uh, airports down again, and, you know, it's a nightmare to get in. And well within their rights to do so. They've, they've done really, really well. Uh, but, you know, they're coming through it now, and I'm not sure if their policies will change again, but it's nice to see that the kickboxing legends are getting back out to Japan where they love, where they are loved and where they love to go. I think Peter Arts was out there as well. Might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw on Instagram that Peter Arts and Ernesto Hust were out there. And yes, uh, a, a sighting in the wild of Ernesto Hust himself. Uh, great to see. Um, I'm really hoping that we'll have a big profe- uh, sort of procession of all the legends um, when we do this uh, big super fight coming up um, with uh, Takeru and, and, and Tension. Um, but yeah, check, check the fight out. Well worth seeing. Um, if you watch sort of just, you know, just a couple of fights from from what I've mentioned, then uh, definitely Capitan uh, versus Akamoto. Uh, Superbon versus Marek Gregorian, both from 1X. And uh, Tension versus Kazane. So this was the kickboxing episode, sort of, because, of course, we have the uh, weird crossover match as well and a bit of Muay Thai and, yeah, so, yeah. But I always said I'd cover kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, and MMA on this podcast and there's always kickboxing going on, but I haven't really had a chance to sort of talk about it and we've had... I wasn't really going to talk about UFC London. I wasn't particularly interested in any of that. And Tom Aspinall was, was somewhat impressive, but it's heavyweight. Wake me up when he fights someone I give a fuck about and I don't care about Volkov. Don't, I'm sorry. Watch too many of his fights to care. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that kind of worth it talking about, but I need a week off. I went on holiday for the first time in three years and, um, as I say, the the actual hiatus was only really a week. We haven't had a podcast properly for two weeks, um, but actually we had a Patreon podcast and then I went on holiday and had a week off. I planned to do this 1X podcast last week and was going to do the Tension podcast this week, but I thought, fuck it, I'll just combine the two. You know, good fights are good fights, worth revisiting. Give me a bit more time to sort of process what happened and, uh, yeah, that's what happened. So if you can't go a week without any Combat Chronicles podcast uh, action, head on over to www.patreon.com slash combatchronicles to get even more of a fix, but it's probably nice to have a week off from me anyway, right? I hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly did. Hope you enjoy the fights that I've recommended. And I'll see you next week where we've got, I think, uh, Pitbull McKee 2 and some UFC card. I think there's a couple of fights on it worth mentioning. So, yeah, probably see you next week. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.